This is Cecinus Pa, a Star Trek, and we are watching The Orville, Seth MacFarlane's humorous take on Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm Ben Belding. I'm Skilltow. And today we are talking about Priya. In this episode, a time traveler from the future seduces Captain Mercer, rescues the Orville from certain doom, and then takes the ship to the future to sell it to a collector of historical artifacts. It's a lot like the Next Generation episode, Captain's Holiday, with the characters of the time-traveling bandits, the uh, quote-unquote archaeologist Vash, and the Frangi, whatever his job is, uh, looter, uh, all rolled into one character. Vash is an archaeologist, though. She's just like Indiana Jones. She's a Tomb Raider. A Tomb Raider is actually. There's a yeah. word for this. I don't remember what it is. Um, British Imperial archaeologist. Just kind of get the, you know, getting a little money on the side. Not being particularly respectful of the culture she's studying. That's fair. She's yeah. also the captain's love interest, which plays into, you know, it's an important part of Captain's Holiday and, and Priya here. Uh, there's also the perfect mate, the one with Famke Jansen, where she's like genetically modified to make the captain happy. And I think a lot of Priya is about plying Mercer less less than honestly. Yeah, I can see that. Charlie Theron is one of the uh, biggest stars that that McFarlane has managed to get on this show. Uh, yeah, I've not yet seen her in Suicide Blonde, but she's obviously known for other things. My favorite being a short uh, comedy sketch she did with. Nathan Fillion during one of the writer strikes, I think. I recognize her by name alone. Uh, I kind of figured she was one of the uh, one of Seth MacFarlane's million ways to die in the West friends, and it turns out, you know, on further research, she was. Ah, there's a couple more of those in the show. Uh, the TV host played by Catherine Chu in uh, Majority Rules, also from that. I don't know any of the others offhand. I mean, I, th I think Liam Neeson was in that. Really? That's amazing. I think that explains why he's Captain God. Very much like the use of Charlie Theron here better than how they used Liam Neeson, though. I'm wondering if Liam Neeson was stunt casting in his episode, whereas Charlie Theron here, they give her character a lot more depth. Yeah. I'm sure Liam Neeson commands a lot more money than Charlie Theron. No offense. Right, yeah. I'm sure just getting him in getting him to go to a soundstage and record a, an exposition speech in front of a nondescript screen is, you know, a cheap way to use Liam Neeson. And he yeah. doesn't really have to play a role for that. It's a lot like getting Norm MacDonald to play uh, Yafit. They've got uh, a TV show budget and they're trying to get a fully 3D animated character in there. It's pretty hard to do. Yeah, and they do, like, they do have good guest stars like folks you recognize and that you like. Yeah, I, I say about TNG that Star Trek The Next Generation, it depends on its guest stars to make its episodes work. And I think that the Orville, you know, is getting good guest stars for what they do. I mean, Rob Lowe, of all people, is Derulio. And the pansexual guy who seduced Kelly. And, and you know, Mercer to an extent later. Like, he's, he's a pretty good get. And they used him uh, quite a bit in that episode. 
he's pretty key, gets a lot of development. On the other hand, we go to another Star Trek favorite, uh, Robert Picardo, and they basically just use him for a flash, not a flashback, but, you know, like one of those one scene in front of a blue screen things, like with Liam Neeson. I mean, it, it's a cameo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where you see a character's parents once and then never again. Like, you, you have stunt casting or, like, Tom Selleck's on Friends or something. And they're like, you know, then the character gets married two years later and there's no Tom Selleck there. And you're like, what? It's kind of the worst way to do parent casting. But, you know, I think they could get Robert Picardo back when they needed him. No offense. You know, I feel like he and a lot of the other Star Trek alumni they've had, they could they could probably get him back. You know, like they have a cast regular who is, uh, um, I forget uh, her name. Penny P. Something. Penny Johnson. Yeah. Penny Gerald Johnson. Who played Cassidy Yates in DS9. You know, we kind of recognize her from DS9. And, and, and I'm sure they're pulling the Star Trek former cast members for, you know, obvious reasons. They're, it seems like they're pulling a lot more from the, uh, uh, for the directing side of it. Like they've got uh guy that plays Tom Harris and the guy that plays Riker to do episodes. Yeah, Robert Duncan McNeil and Jonathan Frakes. I mean, I don't know from directing really if it's good or not. Yeah. But I, I assume they're doing good. Yeah. I've I've never had calls to complain about directing in the Orville. So not a big star, but Robert Nepper, who's the villain in If the Stars Should Appear, was Troy's fiance in TNG season one, which that blew your mind. I recognize him from my zombie, which I don't know how many people watch, but yeah, like I've got a pretty bad eye for women. Like I don't know, Charlize Theron from Scarlett Johansson, but Robert Hepper, I thought I'd recognize White if I saw him in the street, but I I did not. Yeah. So yeah, good catch. Yeah, like uh, people change. Kelly you. Hu as Admiral Azawa. She showed up twice in this show. She's in a ton of stuff, but I haven't seen. Like, nothing I recognize her from. But I still recognize her as someone I should recognize. And then Mad Idolatry, you get uh, whoever that was playing the Pope. I recognize him from Twin Peaks and The Pretender. But like, I'm <laughs> sure if I asked people about those shows, nobody would remember him. Uh, Lenny Van Dolan is his name. Yeah, probably not. And Bojack uh, Horseman. Bojack Horseman makes the joke about hard-working character actors who labor in lucrative obscurity um character actors like brian george from the first episode i mean i recognize him from big bang theory and seinfeld you had to remind me he was uh bashir's dad on ds9 uh who does he play in seinfeld yeah he runs a restaurant i don't know if he's the soup nazi i haven't actually seen that episode is he like the soup nazi i think the soup nazi is a little younger than that i know it's been a couple of years but um, it's a different, slightly ethnic-y guy. And I should probably quit guessing before I dig myself too deep. Yeah. I'm sure he's probably played a lot of doctors in his day. Yeah. And you get more uh, dad casting for Jeffrey Tambor and Holland Taylor as Mercer's parents. Hopefully we'll revisit them. Uh, I have high hopes for visiting people's uh, home worlds. Maybe we'll get to see the parents of the rest of the cast, too, at some point. I, I like seeing these people's parents. And if we're going to learn about these people and their parents and their lives, we should learn about their parents' lives, you know? 
<laughs> or, you know, go back in time, see them when they're young, so we don't learn anything about them. I kind of look forward to where we're going to go with all that. And Charlize Theron or not, this is a good episode. I like her in this. My only real problem with Priya, which is a pretty good episode, is that the time travel doesn't work for me. I think it's clever. It's like the good episodes of Doctor Who that she knows that their ship is destroyed. So she saves their ship so she can take it to the future uh, and sell them off to a collector. And the crew has a temporal regulation where they're supposed to kill themselves if this happens. But they're like, we're not doing that. I, I respect the fact that we don't expect the Orville to go full Jonestown and everything. But at the same time, it feels like they could have put them into a less dire situation that requires a less dire response to do the right thing. And then we blow past all that. And Mercer's like, no, you shouldn't take people out of time. You should... I mean, it, it should be the thesis of the episode, but it isn't. And then he destroys the wormhole. And then she says that we never meet. And then we blow past the grandfather paradox, too. And then Mercer can only prevent himself from meeting Priya if he meets her. But then if he does that, he doesn't meet her. So then he can't stop her from meeting him. And I, like, I understand we're focused on the um, personal story. Yeah. The, this last problem that they have, uh, the grandfather paradox with Mercer, not meeting Priya. I disagree. I think Mercer, I think Priya's objection is that she's calling back to the conversation they had in her quarters right before that, where she's trying to convince Mercer that the two of them should move forward together with their lives. So I don't think that she's saying that Mercer would never meet her. I think she's saying that she would never meet Mercer and Mercer would never get over his. And since Mercer isn't over his wife right now, he won't ever get over his ex-wife. She says that by destroying her, essentially, that he is denying himself a future where he's free of his hangups with his wife. I mean, you and I have this where we disagree. I think the narrative of television is... Is that by having sex with her, he's gotten over his ex. And you have this perspective where together he and Priya could have moved past the issues with Kelly. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And it's kind of weird that I have the, uh, that I'm endorsing the person-centric view and you're endorsing the science view. I feel like normally I would be uh, the one criticizing the episode for stealing the... Uh, disappearing time person from time squared in next generation yeah i i guess i strongly feel that we are given some consequence and then things happen and then those consequences don't happen and it's not satisfying to me the story works yeah about how well maybe not said more about how the temp work but that definitely feels like they threw it out without a ton of thought right and it's dramatic, and it works for, you know, character nissiness. I like it in that respect. Like, it feels good. I just think that the logic of it doesn't satisfy. Still works better than uh, the plot from If the Stars Should Appear, though. <laughs> Boy, does it, though. It's weird because they're both very similar episodes, structurally. I, you know, I never thought about that, but they really are. Uh, Priya puts some sort of action and conflict in almost every scene obviously stars if the star should appear doesn't but 
Hmm. Yeah, if the star should appear as a little quieter, and Priya is very personal instead of a big scale ship action. Whether I think it's a dark matter field, or you know, immigration and customs enforcement guys, you you do understand the threat, and in Priya, they grapple with that threat and address it, whereas in uh, you know, Starship appear, they tangle with it a little bit. It feels a lot more like then... they, yeah. Uh, if the stars should appear, it feels a lot more like they threw, uh, kind of, light, social issues, at a wall and then just moved from point to point. Whereas this one, they don't really make an effort to say any, or to carry a social message. It's. I mean, not really. No, like they know what they're focused on. And they're focused on time travel idea, personal drama. Whereas if the star should appear, it's like, oh, hey, look, generation shit. And they just stop. <laughs> oh, orthodoxy. And a little bit of character stuff, but not a lot. Yeah, it's all two-dimensional. Uh, everything's told to us instead of getting to see it. Well, there's the one guest actor who does a good job of playing a villain. But, I mean, he's a pretty one-dimensional villain. They might as well just put the characters on a dolly and roll them around. See, in Priya, people investigate and there's conflict. Um, and, and so we care about characters. And Kelly has a thread where, like, she's investigating Priya and she's breaking rules. And, you know, that, that links to Mercer and his own character arc. And, and you learn alongside the crew what's happening. So obviously it'd be difficult to bring Charlize Theron back. She's a pretty, I don't want to say uh, expensive, but she's probably hard to get back on a show like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. So anything else you'd want to see? Any other elements you want to see carried forward? So my pitch. Um, initially, I wanted to pitch like there's a second wormhole, and that would prevent the entire timeline from collapsing. But an interesting pitch would be is what if there's a, a time capsule, a reverse time capsule, where maybe Isaac's people, like they give us a message from the future, like it's not so fun. And Isaac says, hey, I got mail for you guys from the future or whatever. And it has like all these suities. It's like, oh, how will it affect the timeline? Um, Mercer's like a part of the union. So, I mean, Isaac's not a part of the union. So those rules don't apply. And eventually it's Isaac that gets the weird message that his people have learned that the union has like a 90% chance of overcoming their people and then destroying their society maybe and then knocking them out of their place at the top of the scale so they want to do some stuff and isaac says hey look it's not that simple my personal experience trumps your 90 percent calculation math um analytical thing and isaac says hey that 10 that 90 percent is a bad number just based on soft qualities and so isaac has to act against his people uh, I think there's a lot of potential in that story. It would, it's amazing to have uh, time capsules from futures that will never be coming back. Uh, I would love if these popped up during somebody's court-martial, because I'm sure that the crew has done or will do something to deserve a court-martial between now and they totally have. an episode comes up. Yeah, It would be interesting to make that idea uh, the solution to uh, you know, a court-martial. Oh, yeah, and considered the violation of time regulations being it. I don't want to stray into the future crimes category of <laughs> policing, but 
I saw Minority Report. I think it's a good concept to go off of. I would pose it instead as the Isaacs people coming back, like some of the deviations in their possible futures come back to the outcomes of the court-martial. Just keep our people, or keep our uh, main cast protagonists in front and center. And to give them some wiggle room around the temporal regulations. And I think you can have a lot of fun with that. I mean, you could easily see a comedy <laughs> where the lawyer has like a photo of himself as teenage years. He has like crazy hair, a ridiculous style or something. And you reverse it. You're like, oh, in the future, I'm going to wear that? You know, maybe towards the end. He's like in civilian gear. Wearing something like that. He's like, that's not so bad. You know? I think it hits the the dramatic, conceptual, and humorous uh, bailiwicks that this show wants to hit. God, get our entire cast as uh, their teenage selves teaming up. <laughs> or their septuagenarian selves. Oh, that would be even better. Or both. Could do both. A plot, B plot. Might go full. Oh, damn. That'd be the finale of next generation ah that's what it is yeah (laughs) yeah it all comes back to star trek okay i veto it on those grounds fair enough that's that that's my pitch we don't have a sign off so goodbye goodbye